going to look at our final teaching on life after death. Um, unfortunately, I am condensing what originally was a four-week series to three weeks. Uh, the good thing is I have nearly finished my book on the subject, so hopefully what I have missed out, you will be able to access once it's published. Amen. So we're going to look at the resurrection and judgment of the dead. And uh, there's notes that have been sent, so hopefully you can access it um, when you receive it via email. Turn with me to Job chapter 14, verse 12. Job 14, verse 12. And he says, So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Now this is talking about the resurrection, a prophetic statement about the resurrection. Now, the belief of the resurrection was something that was very common in the days of old. And uh, basically, the resurrection speaks of those that one day rise from the dead. Those that rise from the dead. Now, just so that we have some context, we've been talking about what happens after we die. What happens after we die. We talked about the fact that there are different beliefs that people have about life after death. And then we talked about um, the rich man and Lazarus, how or the state of the dead before Jesus died. Before Jesus died, what happened to people was that when they died, everybody went to hell. Everybody went to hell before Jesus died on the cross. And in hell, or Hades, which is the realm of the dead, you were either in a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise, or you were in a place of torments, in a place of torments in hell. That word hell from the Greek is Hades, in the Hebrew is Sheol. And basically, it speaks of the place where the dead go, or also it speaks of the realm of the unseen. And we also said that in Hades, there was another place called Tartarus. Tartarus, where spirits or the angels who once sinned by taking on human form and sleeping with women in order to pollute the, 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 the genetic code of humanity so that Jesus couldn't come, those spirits who committed those crimes are held in a place called Tartarus. And we talked about the reality that when Jesus died, what his death did was it, first of all, defeated Satan. It defeated death and it destroyed the power of sin. And because of that, through his death, he also moved all the righteous dead in Hades to heaven. And he moved paradise from Hades to heaven. And then the dead, those who are unrighteous, who died remain in Hades, in the place of torment within Hades, until the judgment. So that's where we're at. So now we're talking about the resurrection and the judgment. So let's deal with the resurrection first. So resurrection simply is the rising up of the dead. Now there are two types of resurrections that take place. There are two types of resurrection that take place after we die. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beg your pardon, verses 16, just verse 16, it says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven 
with a shout, with a voice, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So this event, this event is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And in the second coming of the Lord Jesus, he says what happens is Jesus Christ, first of all, from heaven, comes into the sky. We see him in the sky. The heavens open, he comes in, and then the archangel, Michael probably, or Gabriel, steps forward, blows a trumpet, gives a shout, and then something happens. All those who have died in Christ rise first. They rise first. I want you to also look at Revelations 20, verses 4 onwards. Verses 4, 5, actually verse 4, 5, and then verse 11 and 13. Verse 4, 5, and then verse 11 and 13. So there are two types of resurrections. The first resurrection takes place when Jesus returns. The first resurrection takes place when Jesus returns. And that is the resurrection of the righteous or those who died in Christ. The second resurrection takes place a thousand years after the first resurrection. So let's read it. Revelations 20 verses 4 and 5. And then verse 11 to 13, he says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. It's very interesting. We won't touch on it because of time. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? Now you have to understand that this verse that is, we've read here, let me read it again to you, but within how it was written. It says this in verse, in verse 4. I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness for, to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, that point there, what he's about to say is a parenthesis. In other words, he's kind of going off track to come back to a point. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Okay, so just so that you know, the rest of the dead didn't live again. But now we're talking about those who did live again. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection refers to those who were given thrones, who had not received the mark of the beast or his image, had not worshipped him. They now were able to reign with Christ a thousand years. And that is what the first resurrection is. By the way, just for, the, for info, your information, if you don't have the mark of God, you have the mark of the beast. If you don't have the seal of God, you will have the mark of the beast. And the seal of God is the Holy Spirit that is given. So the seal of God is the Holy Spirit that is given. So you either have God's mark or you have the mark of the beast. But we won't go there anymore. Let's move on. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven or the sky 
fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, or Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So we see here, the first resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous who die in Christ. They are resurrected, and they live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. After that, the second resurrection takes place of those who live within that thousand-year period. Now, let me say something about that period. There's a lot in the Bible about that thousand-year period. There's a lot in the Old Testament, a lot of prophecies that speak of what happens when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. But what will be happening, what will happen is this. Literally, all the dead in Christ will have an elevator status, but there will be human beings when Jesus returns who never take the mark of the beast, who never become allies to the beast, but at the same time, who have not surrendered to Christ. There'll be millions and millions of people that way. And when Jesus sets up his kingdom on the earth, these people will live a normal, natural life with Jesus on the earth, and they will die. They will die a normal death, and they will die. Some of them will be, in fact, in those days, according to scripture, if you die at the age of 100, it will be a big shame to you because the earth would have been cleansed of the pollution and the whole world would have gone back to how it was before the flood in terms of how the earth was. And so Jesus would establish his kingdom for at least 1,000 years. And then after that, the enemy is released, sin is, uh, or those on the earth who uh, have seen Jesus reign for 1,000 years are given the option, and the majority will choose to serve Satan again and rebel against Christ. And then, uh, as you read there, God brings judgment and so forth. But we don't want to go into that. So both resurrections are a thousand years apart. That's what I want you to see. So when we are resurrected, what does our resurrected bodies look like? What does it look like? Well, let me give you a few guidelines. Number one, the resurrected body is like the body that the Lord Jesus had when he resurrected. It is a physical body, but it is also a spiritual body. Now, that word spiritual means, in the Greek, supernatural or divinely inspired. So it is a supernatural body, but it is a physical body as well, but it is supernatural. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 says, it is sown a natural body like this. It is raised a spiritual body like the Lord Jesus' body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Secondly, it is a body full of life. So your resurrected body is a body full of life. This body right now is a body full of death. This body decays. That body is full of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says this. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in, swallow, swallowed up of life or swallowed up with life. So what is happening is this. Right now, this body is a body of death. So it decays because of the sin problem. What you have to understand is that 
when you die, in one sense, you are unclothed because your spirit no longer has a house to live in. So what Paul is saying is that we don't want to be unclothed. In other words, we don't want not to have a physical body because our spirits were created to always live in a physical body. But that our physical bodies will be swallowed up with our immortal body or the same body that the Lord Jesus Christ had. God's intention is that human beings should always live in physical bodies, by the way. The third point is this. It is a glorious body, a glorious body. In other words, it is a body with dignity, with honor. It's a body praiseworthy. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will trans transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to even subdue all things to himself. So, our physical bodies will be transformed to, his to be like his glorious body. Now remember, when the Lord resurrected, he could eat. But he could also move um, in a phenomenal rate through time and space. He could move from one place to another, Within an instant, he could go through walls. It was a supernatural body, but it was also a physical body. So it was, number four, it was a body of flesh and bone. Flesh and bone. It didn't have blood in it. It doesn't have blood in it. It has life in it. The Zoe life of God. It is a body of flesh and bone. So you see the Lord in Luke 24, 39, he said, Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And then it is a heavenly body. In other words, it comes from above. It originates from heaven. Originates from heaven. All right. So, the bodies of the righteous that are resurrected is like our Lord Jesus' body. But the bodies of the unrighteous that are resurrected, now that one, the Bible doesn't say much about. But the implication is that it is the opposite of everything that the body of the righteous is. The only clue we have is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, where the Lord says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that word hell is a very interesting one. It's not Hades. It is Gehenna. And it does not refer to the realm of the dead, but it is an allegory or a, a symbol of a place outside of Jerusalem where they used to throw their rubbish and where, dead, where birds used to eat um, um, the rubbish and the refuse and people's dead bodies were thrown. Uh, it's a place called Hinnon, the Valley of Hinnon. And Gehenna is the term that is used that speaks of the final destruction of the wicked in the lake of fire. So Gehenna is a picture of the lake of fire. So now this word hell, when you see it, 
is talking about the destruction of both the soul and the body in the lake of fire. So it is clear that the resurrected body of the unrighteous is thrown into Gehenna to be destroyed. Now that word destroy has caused some people to believe in what is called, um, oh, I, I can't say it properly, annihilationism. Have I said it right? Uh, yeah. Uh, in other words, you're, you, you are totally destroyed and you cease to exist. And you know, there's, merit, there's some merit to that. But when you look at that word, what it talks about is this, that the soul is so destroyed and the body is so destroyed that it no longer can function within its purpose. Can no longer function within its purpose. And that's what the lake of fire does. And by the way, so terrifying is the lake of fire that death itself is afraid of it. Because death is thrown in the lake of fire. So terrifying is the lake of fire that Hades the realm of the dead itself is afraid of it because it also is thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is terrified of it because he's thrown into the lake of fire. Are you still there? All right, so let's move on quickly to the judgment of the dead. So after we are resurrected, both the righteous and the righteous, the thousand-year gap, we are judged. So in the first resurrection of the righteous dead, the righteous dead are judged but they are not judged for their sins. They are judged for their works in Christ. Why? Because the judgment of their sins has already taken place when Jesus died on the cross. Now, you may say to me, why is judgment necessary? There are many reasons, but I'll give you three. One, because of our conscience. Your conscience registers everything that you do, everything. Every act, your conscience registers it. And according to Romans chapter 2, your conscience on the day of judgment will either accuse you or excuse you. So because of conscience. Secondly, human history itself demands judgment. The human history of humanity demands judgment. When you look at everything that has happened in human history, people think they get away with it. But there is a day of reckoning. And number three... The need for justice necessitates judgment. There are things that happen. You think of the millions and millions of unborn children that are murdered in the name of a woman's choice. A woman's ability to choose gives them the right to kill an unborn child. Beloved, the right of a woman to choose must never deny the right of an unborn child to live. Never. Never. God is a holy and righteous God. He is long-suffering. He abounds in mercy. But he's also a God of justice. And has to judge sin. He must judge sin if he is God. Judgment may be prolonged, but it is certain. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 says this. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. Say to your neighbor, it will be well with those who fear God. 
Say to somebody, it will be well with those who fear God. But look at verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Now, when he talks about the wicked not prolonging his days, he's referring to the afterlife. In the afterlife, at the resurrection, the wicked does not prolong his days because he is judged, sentenced to the lake of fire. It's very, very important that you understand. Not everybody is resurrected when Jesus returns. Not everybody is resurrected. When Jesus returns, it will be a very evident, evident event. Everybody will see it. I believe that the Lord in his mercy in these last days will give many signs to humanity that he's coming. Many visible signs. I remember a few years ago I had a vision. And in my vision, I saw that it was like there was this commotion going on in the earth. Like they knew something was happening. And then I saw the Lord Jesus step out of heaven. Now this ain't scripture, this is just a vision. Step out of heaven and speak to the whole world. And as the Lord Jesus came out, the whole world had their weapons targeting him. And he just spoke to our thought and said this. I am coming soon. No, the first thing he said this is this. I have commanded your weapons not to work. I am coming soon. This is your final warning. And then he went back. Now, that's not scriptural. But what, 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 what it tells me is this, that the Lord, before he returns, will ensure that the nations of the world have no excuse. He will ensure. He will speak to everyone in such a way that the nations of this world will have no excuse. But the other thing is this, is that when the Lord Jesus returns... The world and the world system led by the Antichrist will see him as a hostile invader coming to take over the earth. And it is those of us who have the spirit of God in us who will recognize him for who he is. But we will be seen as traitors of humanity. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. All right, let's move on. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 13, it says this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. You see, for the, those who take part of the first resurrection, on that judgment day, when you stand before Jesus, you are judged for the things you did in Christ. Whether it was in church or out of church, the things you did in Christ, the things you did for Christ, the things you did with Christ, and you are rewarded according to your labor. May you have labor in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, you can do things in church and it's not for Jesus, it's for yourself. You can do things in the world, and it's not for Jesus, it's for yourself. But I pray that in the name of our Lord Jesus, that we will labor in the Lord. We will labor in the Lord. You will labor in the Lord, and that your works will follow you. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It 
He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So again, this verse underscores for us believers that yes, we will appear before the judgment, but not for our sins, for our works. And honestly, beloved, for myself, this is why I labor and I'm trying to labor the way I am laboring. Because I want a reward. Say to your neighbor, I want a reward. Yeah. I want a reward. I want. You see, some people say, I don't care about the reward as long as I make it. Because you don't understand the gospel. You look at the parable of the talents. When the servant went before the master and said, here is it. This is your, your, your gift. You know, I haven't done nothing with it. Have it. He was thrown to outer darkness. He was rebuked and thrown to outer darkness. Yeah. The Lord wants a reward through your labor. I said, the Lord wants a reward through your labor. I tell you, it will be shocking for many of us when we stand before the Lord and we recognize clearly how much opportunity we've lost. We lost whilst we were alive. I know, I know for myself, I've lost a lot of opportunity. I don't measure myself with anybody. I measure myself with the grace of God and the word of God. And I know that for myself, I've lost a lot of opportunity. Others may look and be amazed at my labor, but I am not impressed with my labor. I want to be like Paul and say, his power works mightily through me. I pray that the power of God will work mightily through you. Are you listening to me? Right, so the second judgment takes place after the second resurrection, a thousand years after the first. Now, this judgment is different. It is a judgment of both character and conduct. Both character and conduct. It's also a judgment of righteousness and sin. So this judgment, what is called the great white throne judgment, is a judgment for both the righteous dead who were alive during that thousand year period and then the unrighteous dead who were alive before that thousand year period and then the unrighteous dead who were alive during that thousand year period. So the white throne judgment is different from the, the first judgment. Now this is a very important point. So did you understand why there are some on that judgment it says, that whoever's name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That is because during that thousand year period, there are many whose names were in the book of life. But there were also some whose names were not in the book of life. I tell you, beloved, you can see the Lord Jesus himself. You can taste of his goodness. You can experience his spirit. You can experience his authority, his magnanimous nature, and still refuse to bow the knee to him as Lord of your heart. That's what that thousand-year period is about. It's to demonstrate that the justice and the judgment of God is completely righteous. Now, the criteria for having one's name in the book of life is the same criteria as it is today. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. You see, the name of Jesus is the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. It's the name of the triune God. It's the name of the eternal God. It's the only name. So when the Lord told them, for instance, go and baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is why they use the name of Jesus. Because that is the name that the Father has invested all his authority. That's the name. So in this age and in the age to come, there is no other name. So during that thousand-year period, there is no other way of being saved. There is no rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem in order for the Jews to have their feast so that they can come into the kingdom. They cannot come into the kingdom that way. They have to come into the kingdom the same way. Are you still here? There is no church age that ends and then another age. There is nothing like that. There is just the kingdom. And the church is the custodians of the kingdom. We are the custodians of the kingdom. We have the keys of the kingdom. We are the ones who are able to let people in or out of the kingdom, the church. Are you still here? And we do it by the preaching of the gospel. That's how we do it. So that does not change. Acts 16 verse 30. When the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Go and build an altar. Go and bring your seed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved in your household. Romans 10 verses 9 to 13. Just for your reference. He says, but in verse 8, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, which is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him. For there is, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus or the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. That's it. So in both resurrections and in both judgments, your position with Jesus Christ determines what happens to you. Why? Because he's the one who's going to do the judgment. Jesus is the one who will do the judgment. According to Acts chapter 17, verse 31, I don't think I've given that scripture. It says this, that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, you see, sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that the judgment seat of Christ for believers, where Jesus judges us, and the great white throne judgment has a different person on it. They think on the great white throne judgment is the father, but on the judgment seat is Christ. No, it's the same man. It's the same man whose face the heavens fled away from. It's the same man. The heavens and they fled away from. We have no idea who we're serving. You have no idea who the Lord Jesus is. He's the judge. He's the one who sits on that great white throne judgment seat where the books are opened and another book is opened. And if your name ain't in it, you know where you're going to roast. Yeah. 
Now, how will the judgment be executed? Because of time, I need to, um, I need to uh, move quickly. <laughs> how will it be executed? First of all, it is not possible for mistakes to be made. So in the next 10 minutes that I have to conclude, let me just say this. Number one, not number one, before we say number one, it is not possible for any mistakes to happen. There will be no issue of mistaken identity. No, 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 no. Or errors in judgment. No. Or partiality. No. None. You see, see, let me explain something. The righteous demands of a just God has to be satisfied. And that is why the cross is there. Because the, in the cross, he poured the fullness of his wrath on sin. Fullness. Poured it. We have no idea what that means. I don't know what that means. So, on the cross, Jesus was totally judged. So now, if you receive Jesus, you've received, he's already paid the price for you. But if you don't, then the righteous demands of a just God still has to be satisfied over your life. So if you don't receive him, he says, fine, you don't need to receive me, so let's look at your life and see whether you can pay the price for sin. And if you can pay the price, then you're free. If you can't, you, you know, you, you, you're going to burn. <clears throat> so both judgments, both the first and the second judgment are impartial. And we will all be judged. Number one, with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. I don't know, did I give you this one? Okay. Psalm 96 verse 13 says, He is coming, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. With his truth. With righteousness and with his truth. Secondly, how does he judge? He judges according to God's standard. God's holy standard. Revelation 22, 12 says, says this. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Number three, he's judging us according to our attitude to Christ and his word. According to our attitude to Christ and his word. John chapter 12, verse 48. He says this. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word. Number four. He judges us according to the measure of light and opportunity given to us. Look at Luke chapter 12 verse 48. Luke 12 48. But he who did not know yet commit things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. They shall be beaten. Say to your neighbor they shall be beaten. Yeah, they shall be beaten, but with few stripes. Now, I don't know what few stripes is like, but I don't even want any stripe. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. But he says, the servant that knew his master's will and did not do it, it's not here, but the verses previous, shall be beaten with many stripes. So the unsaved 
will be beaten with few stripes. But the saved, who knew and didn't do, will be beaten with many stripes. So there goes your one saved, always saved. Let's move on. Number five. The judgment will be executed in different degrees of rewards or punishments. Now, that, the verse that I referred to earlier in Luke chapter 12, look at verse 47 and 48. And the master who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Yeah. So, there are degrees. There are levels of punishment. One of the visions that I had of Hades, I saw was that what I was seeing was the, the lighter part of Hades. The lighter part of the torments in Hades. Yeah, and it was a horrible torment. Number seven. The judgment is executed by convincing all of the righteousness of God's judgment upon them. Beloved, just because people say, I don't believe in God, I don't care, well, I'm willing to stand before God, and whatever he says, I, I think God is just unfair, you know, God is a Jew, God is this and that, and by the way, he is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. It's not Ghanaian, he's Jewish. <laughs> whatever, whatever, um, whatever people say, when they are judged, they'll be convinced that the judgment is right. I deserve the lake and worse. Jude chapter 14, sorry, Jude 14, sorry. Jude verse 14 and 15. It says, now Enoch, the seven from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way <laughs> and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he'll convince them that every ungodly thing you did, said, and uh, all the things that you said against him, you deserve what you're getting. Yeah. In Luke chapter 19 verse 22 the Lord says to the unprofitable, unprofitable servant, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. He said you should have invested my money so that when I came back, when I came back I can have a profit. Last scripture I want to read about this is this. It's Romans chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. Talking about the Gentiles. He says, who show the, work, the Gentiles that don't have the law. So the Gentiles that don't have the law, who don't have the gospel, this is what he says, that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So God uses the conscience of an individual to judge us. Sorry, he uses our conscience to judge us. He also uses his word to judge us. He also uses our conduct to judge us. He also uses his righteousness 
and his justice to judge us. He also uses our motives and our thoughts to judge us. And he also uses his omniscience, his all-knowing knowledge to judge us. He, he uses all of that. And then finally, he uses the gospel message itself to judge us. So on that day, both the first resurrection and the last resurrection, and the first judgment and the last judgment, that is how God exercises judgment. In conclusion, having heard all that you have heard, if you are a believer, make sure you are ready for the first resurrection. You see, the first resurrection will take place. But probably this generation of believers will die before it takes place. I know they're saying it, you know, happen in our lifetime. It'll be great, but it won't. I don't believe it will. I believe this world is going to so turn, it's going to be shocking. But if it does, it'll be fantastic. But I believe all of us will die one day. But whether you die or you are there when Jesus returns, make sure you are part of the first resurrection. Amen. Make sure. And by the way, he says this, blessed and holy are those who are partakers of the first resurrection. Upon such, the second death has no power. It has no power. You see, the second death, which is the lake of fire, in our resurrected bodies, we can literally walk into that lake and it can't harm us. Can't harm you. Imagine. You can walk into the lake of fire, swim in it, and it won't burn you. Can't harm you. Death cannot handle it, but you'll be able to handle it. Whoa. That's how it will be in the age to come. Yeah. You'll be able to traverse any sphere of reality. I pray that you'll make it. I want to conclude with reading this because of time. A few scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You have no idea what God has prepared for you. This is why you must never live your life with this temporal system in mind. You must not give your energies to this temporal system. Beloved, we want to labor in such a way that everybody may ridicule what we are doing, but we know we are marking treasures for ourselves in the age to come. I has not seen. God, listen, God rewards faithfulness. Faithfulness. Not results, faithfulness. Because your faithfulness is the result. Is the result. Your faithfulness is the result. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You have no idea. The glory awaiting you. I pray that you will live your life with eternity in mind. As children of God, you'll be excited about seeing so saved. You'll be excited about helping the vulnerable. You'll be excited about preaching the gospel. You'll be excited about living sacrificially. You'll be excited about the things that excites God. 
We have one life. I tell you, I want to empty myself. I want to empty myself. I want to empty every vision, every dream that God has put in me. In the next 35 years or so that I have walked in this planet, I want to make sure I work so hard that when I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. May that be your testimony. I'm telling you, we don't want to waste any more time. You see this two-month thing? It's a strategic time. Yeah, we'll enjoy ourselves, but trust me, we are digging into the Lord. We want to dig into the Lord. It's a strategic time. We've been talking to the Lord about next year, and he's been showing me, by his grace, what he wants me to be physically doing, what he wants us to be doing. It's phenomenal. For the kingdom. Yeah. So we want to work. Because there's an age coming that we want to be ready for. I've concluded with this. Revelations 21, verses 1 to 4. This is what awaits those of us who are part of the first resurrection. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, or the dwelling place of God, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <laughs> there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Let me just say a few things. When God created the earth, and the earth became polluted with sin, he prepared the earth through the ministry of the prophets of old for the coming of his son. And Jesus came. When Jesus came and he did his work, he prepared the way for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came. Now the Holy Spirit is preparing the way for the last 2,000 years for Jesus to return. But in the millennial reign, Jesus is preparing the way for the Father himself to come. And when the Father comes... He comes with the city that they've been building for nearly 2,000 years. And he puts it on this earth. And from that point onwards, God will always be with us in his full manifest glory. The original intention of God. And that's what life after death is all about. To get us ready for this. Let us pray.